For the first time in 21 years tomorrow, the Mariners will play in the postseason. It feels so, so good to finally say that. We're going to get you set for the wild card round and visit with Locked On Seahawks host Corbin Smith to talk about his Blue Jays here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Thursday, October 6, 2022. How's it going, everyone? This is Tidy Gonzalez and Colby Patnode for the Locked Out Mariners podcast here. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Subscribe, like, and turn on alerts if you're watching on YouTube. Or subscribe and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform if you like what you hear. And if you want to hear from us even more, please consider signing up for our Patreon. The link as well as our social accounts is in the description below. On the show today. It is all about the Mariners and the Blue Jays who are playing each other in the wild card round starting tomorrow. We'll give you our thoughts on the series as a whole, how the pitching matchups are lining up, and check in with Locked On Seahawks host Corbin Smith to talk about his Blue Jays a little later on. But first, Colby, I want to ask you because you were at the last Mariners playoff game, and now you're an old man, and the Mariners are back in the postseason. And I'm kind of wondering how or what your emotions are right now heading into tomorrow's game, because we've we've talked about this a lot. We prepared for this. We've spent the last few shows talking all about this. We know the Mariners are in the postseason, but it just still doesn't feel real, at least to me. So are you nervous? Are you excited? Are you both? What's kind of going on through your head right now as we approach tomorrow? Both. Back to you. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Squidward. Not, yeah. Good. <laughs> Today's show is never going to go well, but uh, it's it's mostly excitement. Uh, there's There are a lot of nerves, though, because I think we know the Mariners are going to advance in the playoffs. They're going to do it by winning a bunch of close games. And, you know, it, it'd be nice to have, even in a 6 nothing game or something like that, though, you never feel safe in the playoffs. Uh, but you know, it'd be nice to have one of those, you know, nice, easy four, one games. And you just, Hey, we just kind of coast to the end, but that's not going to happen. Not in Toronto. Toronto's too good. Uh, that ballpark is too much of a headache to play in. You're going to play some tight games and, and there's going to be moments where somebody's going to have to make a big player. They're going to have to, you know, get a big hit. And, and so there's a lot of excitement, you know, and just seeing the Mariners in the postseason and, you know, find kind of announcing to the rest of the baseball world that, you know, you're here and you're not, you're not going anywhere. This isn't a one-off. We're not, you know, like in 2018, if they had snuck in, you'd be like, well, this is kind of their last shot. And then they got to still think about resetting it here. No, this is, this is them opening the door. It's just been opened. Um, and every round they can advance is, is really a bonus, but you don't want to think of it that way because you do want to win the world series. Right. I mean, that's still the goal, but mm. it's kind of this weird thing with Mariner fans right now where, you got in and that's kind of been like the goal for forever is just to get in. And you don't want to say you're satisfied with that because you do want to win the world series, obviously, but yeah. you also don't want to um, belittle the accomplishment mm-hmm. of, of breaking the drought itself. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's mostly, mostly nerves um, and excitement. It, it's, it's those two things. And, and, you know, I, I imagine it'll actually get cranked up um, on Saturday because either 
the Mariners will be facing elimination or they'll be, they'll have a chance to advance to the DS and, and play the, uh, and play the Astros. And so elimination games are always a little more hype than, than, you know, just game one or, or, or game three and, or yeah, game three in the CS or whatever. Uh, every game matters. Every pitch matters. And because the Mariners play with incredibly tight margins, you know, every single mistake that they make, and they will make mistakes because they're human. They're, it's baseball. Mistakes are going to happen. And just every single one of those is going to be now like the greatest difficulty the the franchise has ever overcome. Uh, you know, J.P. Crawford boots a ground ball in the third inning. You're like, oh, my God, that nope, here comes the home run. It's going to be 2 nothing, and then Castillo's going to fall apart and, and blah, blah, blah. And then what's going to happen? Well, you know, probably a double play, and you'll be like, oh, okay, well, it's just that high and then the low and then the high and the low. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be something. Um, in that case, I am kind of grateful that they're playing at, at one o'clock. Uh, not like, you know, late at night, like a seven o'clock game. And then I got to try to go to sleep afterwards. Um, so it's, it's mostly excitement for tomorrow also mixed with nerves. And then, uh, Saturday will be pretty much all nerves because again, one way or the other, a team's facing elimination on Saturday. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, there's a lot of nerves. And, you know, going back to kind of how Mariners fans as a whole are feeling about this, it's kind of, you know, now you you get to a point here where you're trying to learn how to set the same goals that every other fan of a contender sets, really. It's now you're just kind of, you know, you're, you're a normal baseball fan. You don't have this drought hanging over your head where, like, that's the only thing I'm thinking about and focused on. It's like, no, now I'm like every other fan where the goal is to win the World Series goal is to win you know to to not just get into the dance but to to make some noise you know and so it's um it's really interesting and i still haven't really like registered in my head that the mariners are in the postseason that i'm gonna go to it that you know because this is the first time i've ever gone to a playoff game of any kind doesn't matter if it's baseball football whatever this is the first time I've ever gone to any sort of playoff game. This is the highest leverage of any game I've ever gone to. I've never experienced an atmosphere like the one that I expect to experience tomorrow and Saturday and maybe even Sunday. We'll see. And so there's a lot of nerves kind of tied with that. Uh, I have seen the Rogers Center, you know, sold out and full, but like that was opening day. And that's, you know, different. The, the stakes are a lot different. That's just excitement. This is pressure. This is one of these teams is going home. One of these teams' amazing journeys that they've gone on this whole year that we followed for the last six months is going to end here in this building. And so, you know, for me, I don't want to say that I'm necessarily satisfied, right, if the Mariners, you know, uh, get eliminated this weekend. But I also, you know, I'm very proud of what they've been able to accomplish. They've given us so many great memories. And I've made peace with the fact that at the very least, I'm going to be able to see this team off. You know, I'm going to be able to thank them in my own way and being there and being present. And at best, I get to see them beat the Blue Jays, move on to the ALDS, and we get this thing really rolling. And so either way, you know, I feel good about it. And there's a comfort to find as well in the fact that, you know, they are just getting started. Like you said, they are just getting started. This is a young team that still has so much flexibility, roster, payroll, all that stuff. They're, they're going to get better. 
And so they're going to be in a position where they do just have a flat out scary roster top to bottom like the Blue Jays have, right? Because mm-hmm. I think we look at that roster right now, and it's like, oh, my God, look at all the stars they have in their lineup, and they have pretty good pitching. Like, uh, how are we going to beat this team? I mean, the Mariners are also a really good roster, don't get me wrong, but, like, there's the potential to get even better and better and better. And so that's what excites me, and that's what makes me ultimately feel good about this no matter what the outcome is. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I obviously want them to win, and I'm going to be disappointed as hell, and I'm going to be depressed <laughs> if they lose, especially on that train ride home. That is going to be the worst train ride home if if that's you know what happens. Uh, and also it's probably going to ruin my, uh, my experience at Rogers center in the future even further because <laughs> I'm always going to be reminded of it. So oh, yeah. No. Can't you go know. back to the parking garage cause it makes me uh, feel sad. Yeah. The, the Rogers center is ugly. Garage. It's so ugly. It's so ugly. I, I really appreciated all of the comments when I posted a certain photo that I definitely could not show on this broadcast <laughs> on uh, Twitter of me at Rogers center on new year's day this past year. And, uh, the amount of people that were saying, God, that's such an ugly building. It really is. They're renovating it for next season, but it's mostly like on field stuff or stuff that you would see on the field, like in the stands and whatnot. They're putting in a a little patio or something in right field and all this stuff. But Canada has to build have to has to have one good baseball stadium in it. So why not just tear the thing down and start over? Yeah. Yeah, and they've talked about that in the past, but I don't think that's actually what they're going to end up doing. Uh, I think they're just going to renovate this thing. Like, the, I like the look of Tropicana Field more than I do the Rogers Center. God, that is saying something. That is saying something. Yeah, it's uh, take it from me, folks. It is not a great ballpark, and if you are visiting the Rogers Center this weekend for the first time, you will learn that yourself. It's uh, not not ideal. But, uh, hey, you know, that's where the Mariners are going to play their first playoff game in 21 years and their first playoff series in 21 years. And, uh, you know, let's just go for the ride, right? All right, so let's uh, we'll get into the series uh, a little bit more here and talk about what's going on with pitching matchups, uh, what we kind of think the roster is going to look like. There was some more information on Cade Marlowe potentially and how he might fit into all this. So we'll get into all of that. Coming up here in just a moment, and we'll also talk to Corbin Smith in just a moment. But real quick, a reminder, this episode of Locked On Mariners uh, is brought to you by BetOnline as I need to get the overlay up here. All right, let's do this. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there it is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events including mlb mma boxing and golf head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more bet online is where the game starts you're listening to the locked on mariners podcast thank you again for making us your first listen so colby we have some clarity when it comes to the pitching matchups now it looks like uh logan gilbert is going to be Starting game three, if the game three is necessary, and we'll see if maybe George Kirby gets used out of the bullpen at some point in one of these games. That's certainly a possibility as well. Uh, But let's talk about what's going on on the Toronto side of things. We know that Alec Manoa is starting game one for Toronto, but game two and game three is where it gets a little bit murky. But there are some that cover the Blue Jays that are saying that 
The Blue Jays are going to go with Ross Stripling in game two if they win game one. And then if they lose game one, they're going to go with Kevin Gossman, strikeout specialist, potential Cy Young candidate, who's dealing with a cut on his right middle finger right now. But basically, they want to save him for an elimination game rather than the dagger. So what do you think about that from the Blue Jays side of things and that strategy? It is a slap in the face of the Seattle Mariners, and it is bulletin board material. Uh, Also, the Mariners crushed Kevin Gossman. So, yeah, take that. Six innings, two runs against that bad Mariners lineup. (laughs) What a scrub. Um, it's, It's interesting to see how... Toronto kind of views this and, and stripling, you know, for the record has been very good this year. He's, he's a very solid pitcher. He had a, he had a, a 3.1 F war for the year, uh, granted only 124 innings, but he's a guy who is a pretty interesting matchup against Seattle. Uh, he's in the past. He has been very fly ball heavy this year. It was more ground ball oriented. Um, he doesn't miss a tremendous amount of bats. Uh, at least this year he hasn't, uh, but he also doesn't walk guys. So he's going to be around the zone. So that is an interesting matchup for the Mariners, um, you know, who kind of live and die by the home run and, and the walk. And if you're not going to walk guys, which by the way, Gossman, Manoa and Stripling, none of them do. So it, it, it's an interesting dynamic they're rolling with. It feels backwards to me um, because if you feel good enough about Stripling in a, uh, you know, clinch scenario, then start him in game three. I, I think if you're down, uh, or if you're, yeah, if you're down, if you're sorry, if you're up one nothing, you don't want to get to a game three because game threes are where anything can happen. Elimination games are, are crazy. Um, there is pitching matchup lineup. It doesn't throw it out. It's an elimination. It's one baseball game to decide your season. Literally anything can happen. So you do not want to get to game three if you can help it. So to me, it feels like the Blue Jays should be doing what the Mariners are doing and just throwing their two best in game one or two, one and two. And, you know, hope that you win at both of them, ideally, but at least one of them. So we'll we'll see. You know, it's interesting. The Mariners have beaten Manoa this year. They have beaten Gossman this year. But those two guys pitched very well in those games. And it was, you know, they gave up a couple runs. And, and it just so happened that the guys that they were facing were a little bit better. Uh, so that's kind of how you're going to have to win this game. So I think, you know, I think it's backwards. Uh, Stripling's had a very nice year. And if you want to trust him in a game three, like a winner go home game, uh, I think that's totally legitimate uh, strategy on their part. It just feels like you want to, you always want to put the dagger in as soon as possible. You don't want to mess around and get this thing to a situation where, you know, anything can happen. And, and, you know, you say, Oh, well, we can use Gossman in an elimination game. It's like, well, yeah, but what if Gossman gives up three home runs in five innings, you know, game over you don't have that buffer so i I just feels weird to me it feels backwards um but Mm -hmm. you know it's again i'm i don't want to disrespect uh ross stripling he's been very good this year it just feels like you you paid kevin gossman all that money use him uh in in the elimination game yeah it feels like like that's what you pay him for is to pitch in those kinds of moments and so to not you're using him as the guy to basically save you rather than to end it it's just it's weird to me it's really strange to me uh and look make him pay make him pay win game one force Gossman into game two see what happens you know so right winning game one is so important too because it 
forces your opponent to it's all hands on deck. And in the playoffs, it usually is anyways, right? It's only three games mm-hmm. in a row. You're going to get Monday off. Uh, you're not going to be afraid to, you know, use the same reliever all three games, but it does change things because if you're, let's say the Mariners win, right. And Ray goes out there and he gives up two runs in the first, but you're up one, nothing mm-hmm. in the series. You might be able to say, okay, let's, let's see, you know, we'll still be on high alert, but let's just see how he looks in the second. If you're Toronto and you're down one, nothing, and Gossman goes up there and he gives up a three run homer to Carlos Santana or whatever. Like, Oh, it, it's, it's sound the alarms to get the bullpen hot. We have got to get this guy out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so winning game one is incredibly important. Uh, it's, it's not like you can't win uh, the series. If you lose game one, of course you can, you can only win two games in a row and, and mm-hmm. it, it's not that hard, but it does put everybody at ease when you have the, the one game in your back pocket and you only have to win one of the next two instead of both of them. And it does yep. change how you manage the game. And we'll see how the cut on his right middle finger impacts Gossman, if mm-hmm. at all. You know, don't yep. know how, don't know what it's like or anything like that. But maybe that does have an impact on him. Maybe he's not exactly the Kevin Gossman that we know. So that maybe also he... works in the Mariners' favor. Yeah, maybe he only has like 80% of the control he normally has on a splitter. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he can't throw the splitter as much as he normally does. Or maybe it's the fastball uh, movement that that takes a backseat. You never know with, with stuff like that. So we'll see how it goes. But I I, I think Toronto is, is doing this backwards. But what do I know? So the big thing for me in this series, and I think what this is ultimately going to come down to, is the defense. These are two really good defensive teams. Toronto has especially reinforced its defensive unit with Whit Merrifield and Jackie Bradley Jr. as of late. So they play really good defense there. They don't make a ton of mistakes. They were 10th in errors this year. The Mariners, I think, were fourth. Uh, they finished. And so I think it's going to be really who comes down to ma- you know, or who ends up making that key mistake. Yeah. Uh, especially for the Mariners on the Mariners side of things. They just they can't avoid that or, or they, they have to avoid that rather because we saw in that Rangers series – all those years back, between the Rangers and the Blue Jays, the Jose Bautista game, what happened in the Jose Bautista, uh, Bautista inning? The Rangers defense melted. It mm-hmm. melted, and that stadium got going, and it's game over at that point. If that stadium gets going with as many young guys as you have on your team, and look, we can talk about all the talent in the world and all this stuff, but it is going to impact certain guys mentally. It just is. Yep. This is a different kind of sport that we're that the Mariners are going to be playing tomorrow. It is not the exact same sport that they were playing on Wednesday against the Tigers. It's completely different. Right. It's it's also a young team. There's not a ton of guys with with playoff experience. Um. You know, and and the big crowds that the Mariners have played in front of this year, and there's been a few of them. They've been at home, uh, for the most part, mm-hmm. and maybe some low stake road games. So, it's just different. It's going to be. You know, you have to see how Julio responds to that. You know, Logan Gilbert, if they get to a game three, you don't know how he's going to expand. Even a veteran like Luis Castillo, he's he's pitched in one playoff game. That's it. You know, Robbie Ray, I think, is pitched in three. It's just different. It is, you know, and so it's it's interesting to see how this young team, it's also a coaching staff that doesn't have a ton of experience managing in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very young uh, group um, and very inexperienced group. Uh, and this is why you need guys like, like Carlos Santana, who has a ton of experience in the playoffs. You need him to be there. You need even somebody who doesn't have playoff experience, but is the calming presence like Mitch Haniger. These are the guys that need to step up and they need to kind of take over the clubhouse more or less without feeling like they are 
over overstepping. Right? Yeah, where they're it's like kind of, changing the dynamic. Basically. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's tough, you know. And Adam Frazier's got some playoff experience. Marco's got a little bit of playoff experience, even though he's not going to be on the roster. Gino, I think, has a couple games. Like, there's just Luis. not a lot of. Castillo. Luis yeah. has one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just not a lot of playoff experience on the roster and it's going mm-hmm. to be different. And, and that might actually help um, because you don't know what you don't know. Right. You don't sure. have any bad habits, um, but it also could hurt when, when the things get tight. And, and that's why you kind of want that, you know, a Eugenio Suarez, you don't want, you know, when, when Kelnick strikes out with the bases loaded, you want Gino right there talking to him. You want his head back in the game. And, and so, yeah, the, the veterans, you know, I think if the Mariners are going to progress throughout the playoffs, it's going to be the young guys. It's going to be Julio. It's going to be Cal. It's going to be, you know, Jared and Logan and, and George. And it's going to be those guys that push them. That That's the ceiling for the Mariners. Uh, but I think because of that, it's incredibly important that the team gets something of value from Hanager and Gino and, and you know, Marco and, and you know, just some of the guys who have played a lot more baseball than, than their young teammates. So it's, it's a bit of a, you know, balancing act there, but we'll see, you know, how, how valuable Mitch Anniger's leadership is and, and all the things about Carlos Santana's playoff experience. We'll, we'll see if it helps or not. And, and we probably won't know because it could help. It could be tremendously helpful and they could get swept. Right. So. And look, on the flip side of things, too, this is also a very young Blue Jays team. Obviously, they mm-hmm. have the experience of guys like George Springer, et cetera, but they also, you know, Alec Manoa is going to start his first playoff game in mm-hmm. front of a sold-out crowd in Toronto. I mean, there are nerves that go along with that. So it works for both sides as well. And so that's what that's also what makes this series in general so unpredictable because there are so many parallels between this team between these two teams. And it's just really who who cracks, who cracks at the end of the mm-hmm. day. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out, and I think that it does ultimately come down to the defense for one of these teams, specifically the Mariners. So if the Mariners can play their good fundamental ball and can sustain that through these next two to three games, then I think they're going to be in a good spot. I think they're going to be in a good spot. If they can just play their ball, which is run prevention ball, they should be mm-hmm. able to win at least two of these games. Do you think they're we're going to see like are they going to try and do things differently at all than what they did in the regular season? Are we going to see more like fifth inning bunts or like maybe some hit and runs or anything like that? Or are they just going to you know stick with the formula that got them here, which is you know find a way on base and hope somebody hits a home run? Well, it depends on on how the games are going, right? You know, if they end up getting to a point where the the pitching falls off the rails and they have to get into a shootout, then they're just going to have to you know or they just swing for it. But yeah, well. Let me ask you the different direction. Uh, who on this team would you trust to put down a sacrifice bond, like a good one? <laughs> Adam Frazier. <laughs> okay. And end of list. End of list, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, JP Crawford is awful at it. Dylan ter- Moore is awful at sucks. it. Sucks. Yeah. Kincaid uh, Marlowe bond. I, I don't think you want to put him. Hey, kid. Welcome to the show. Go lay down this incredibly crucial sacrifice bunt for us so thank you for mentioning Cade marlowe because i almost hopped off of here and moved on to Cor- to our interview with corbin without talking about Cade marlowe uh <laughs> yes of course so Cade marlowe uh we talked about him yesterday because uh, you read the tweet live as we were recording and i reacted in uh, in a great way uh <laughs> and uh 
it, you know, we talked about like he, he's probably just going to be on the taxi squad, whatever. It might be a little bit of insurance, but you know, I also talked about like, hey, he might give you some value on the base pass, and that might help you with uh, the loss of Sam Haggerty at least a little bit. Obviously, he's not a he's not the same runner like Sam Haggerty, but he does give you some value on the base pass. This team needs a, some form of athleticism that it can get because it's just not a very athletic team, and they lost a lot of that with the loss of Sam Haggerty. And now, as it turns out, Ryan Dibbish really believes that Cade Marlowe is going to be on the postseason roster. So how does that work, Colby? I would assume that he is the, he's taking the spot of who we thought would be Taylor Trammell. Um, because ideally, neither one of them gets an at-bat, right? Like, you don't want to be in a position where you have to use either one of them and rely on them to get a hit or, or whatever. So... Um, so when you kind of start looking, okay, then what is like the ideal scenario to use Trammell? Well, late inning defensive replacement and base runner, pinch runner, but Trammell's not a tremendous base stealer. Um, Marlowe is a very good base stealer. Uh, and the defense I think is based on what I've read about Cade Marlowe's defense. Uh, it's probably about as good as Trammell in left field. Uh, you know, it's maybe a tick down, but again, the base running uh, value greatly overcompensates for that. And, Tremel hasn't hit like at all uh, for the last month or so. And, and Marlowe, even though he's, you know, hasn't hit big league pitching ever before, he's had a very good year throughout, you know, the entire minor league system. So if you do have to go up there and, and, you know, have him take some hacks, the Mariners probably feel better about Marlowe at the plate than they do Tremel. So I think that's probably what, what we're looking at here. That's the role uh, that, that Marlowe's going to serve. Basically he's the 26 guy and, you know, uh, Mitch Haniger gets on base in the eighth of a tie game. I, Marlo's probably coming in to run. That's that's probably how it's going to go. So we'll see. Uh, cue, you know, cut to him getting the the game winning RBI in the thirteenth inning on Sunday. Um, but uh, I, I think mostly it's just going to be you know defense and, and base running and uh, you know I, I think if if Marlo got an at bat, it probably meant something went wrong. Mm. And I'm totally prepared for him to hit lead off against Kevin Gossman on Sunday. <laughs> but I, I don't I, think I, that I don't I don't know if service would do that necessarily. But mm. but I don't maybe there's something to the idea of like, well, Toronto doesn't have anything on this guy. Right. Like, I mean, mm. their their scouts have something on Marlowe, but like. Not much. Right. They, yeah. they weren't anticipating Kate Marlowe being on the Mariners playoff roster, so surprise <laughs> yeah but i i think it's just defense base running basically you're you're he's taking sam haggerty's role just minus taking any of his at bats as weird as that sounds yeah more or less so all right before we move on to corbin let me get predictions series who's winning how many games well the winner will win two times mm. um i think that's mm don't know there's much wiggle room in that um i don't know well, i mean we'll, we'll be back on on friday how about you ask me on the post game show friday um <laughs> no no <laughs> uh i will like i said i said this on on baseball things uh jason churchill's podcast i'm not going to be the guy who picks against the mariners like that's no i'm, I'm not doing that so uh, i'll take the mariners i think it'll probably take them all three games to get it done um I think I think what we're gonna see, like how Seattle's going to win. I think Castillo's gonna pitch well in game one. 
Um, I think Ray will, will be fine, but I think the bats will probably go pretty quiet against Gossman. And then I think in game three, I think we're going to see, I'll call it. I'll, I'll just, I'll just call my shot game winning home run in the top of the ninth off of Jordan Romano by wait for it. Dylan Moore. Boom. There it is. <laughs> Playoff demo will become a thing. He bought um, in. He bought in. I did it, folks. I made him crack. I only, I only bought in so that you have to buy the t-shirts. <laughs> Playoff Demo is going to be a thing. And Playoff Jared. Gonna... Playoff yeah. Jared is going to be a thing. Do you think do you think Demo gets any at bats in the in the series? Yes. Facing all righties. I think he ends up getting in at bat because he came in as a defensive replacement at some point. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, and that's we'll going to be the at bat, Colby. <laughs> the at bat that you're talking about. Uh, M's and three. M's and three, folks. All right. Let's go for it. Let's let's uh, let's ride. Let's sail. Let's fly. Let's do all those things. Hold on. What do you think is more likely, Ty? Before we go, mm. Mariners uh, win in two, or Blue Jays win in three. <laughs> Blue Jays one and three. I'd be surprised if the because like like it's the Mariners, is the Mariners right? winning in two like the least likely scenario? Yeah, in your yeah, mind? yeah. It's okay. the Mariners. Like if they're going to win the series, they're going to make it as difficult and as sure. stressful as right. possible. Like there's a zero percent chance the Mariners just roll into Toronto and win like five to no, one and like no, seven gonna, to two. They're gonna break us emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> they are going to break us emotionally, no matter what happens this I, weekend. I cannot wait for Saturday when Luis Torrens is pitching in the ninth inning <laughs> because the Mariners are up 13 to two. Like, it, it, it'll I, be hope that, I hope this is something we can clip in a, <laughs> in a few days <laughs> and play back because the Mariners did just that. All right. Let's talk to a man who thinks that's definitely not going to happen. Corbin Smith host of the locked on Seahawks podcast. Guy. Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, who is, yes, indeed, Ooh. a football guy and also a Blue Jays fan. It has made his uh, followers know that he's a Blue Jays fan the last couple of days, and they've let him know back what they think about that. So, please, let's uh, all give Corbin a warm welcome of booze down in the chat below, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Corbin Smith is the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. He's also a credentialed reporter covering the Seahawks over at allseahawks.com, where he used to be my boss, and we're still pals, even though he's a dirty, dirty Blue Jays fan, and that's why I have him on here today. So, Corbin, uh, I, I think a lot of people are aware of your Blue Jays fandom, but for those that might not know, how did your love for the Blue Jays begin? Why are you not a Mariners fan? Well, I'm from North northern indiana and I, I think a lot of people don't realize geography toronto is not that far away from northern indiana detroit's like two and a half hours and then you just go across uh to toronto it's not that long of a drive and ironically i've never been to a blue jays game but i've been rooting for the blue jays i was a little kid and i remember my first favorite player was carlos delgado and a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, well, Indiana, there's no way there's a lot of Blue Jays fans, but you'd be surprised. There's actually, I'd say there's probably, I'd say it's probably third or fourth behind Chicago Cubs are clearly number one. There's tons of Cubs fans there. A lot of St. Louis Cardinals fans in Indiana. 
and you have quite a few Cincinnati Reds fans. But I would say that the Blue Jays are right there behind those three teams because, you know, location-wise, it's not that far away. So, yeah, I grew up uh, rooting for Delgado and Sean Green. And, I mean, they had some incredible bats on those teams in the late 90s, early 2000s. But they had struggles with pitching, which is why they didn't make the playoffs any of those seasons. And so they had some really good teams that ended up missing the playoffs. If they had the format now where they had the extra wild card, they probably would have made the playoffs a couple of those seasons. But uh, nonetheless, that's where my fandom started because they could hit the long ball and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, Carlos Delgado was a lot of fun. Vernon Wells, Alex Rios, all those names. Great. There's some really, really fun teams up in Toronto. Um, so, you know, it's been a while since we, you know, since these two teams have met. Uh, these teams have changed quite a bit since the trade deadline, all that. You know, so for Mariners fans who haven't really paid much attention to the Jays since the last time they saw them, what's changed? What's going on with this team? What should be what should we be looking for this weekend? It just feels like they've been a little bit more consistent since they changed managers. And I, I never felt like Montoya was necessarily a bad manager, but it was one of those instances where they were 46 and 42 at the time. And this team has way too much talent to be crawling just a little bit above 500. And they didn't make the playoffs last year, narrowly missed out. It just seemed like this team had been chronically underachieving. And so uh, they've been 48 and 28 since John Schneider, ironically, not John Schneider for the Seahawks, but John Schneider here, the Blue Jays takes over. Uh, they've been much better, been much more consistent. It feels like the pitching has been the air where they've been able to turn the tide a little bit because the first half of the season, the bullpen, I don't know how many games they choked away in the first two and a half months. And while it's still not necessarily a strength team, it does seem like the bullpen has been more consistent in the second half of the season. And that's why they were able to get that top wild card spot. The bats have been there all year, maybe not quite as prolific as I thought they were going to be early in the season. Vladdy Guerrero's stat line, most guys in the major leagues would take that, but 274 from Vladdy, that's kind of underwhelming. Uh, so they're bats have been good but maybe good as i anticipate second half of the season though they've been driving in a lot of runs they're hitting the ball out of the park the pitching's been a little bit more consistent so i think that's really the difference here because when these teams met last time that, that was near the end of the failed tender for montoyo then they changed managers shortly after that was kind of the series i think that set the table for them to make that move mm-hmm yeah, for sure. There's definitely been a clear change with this team over the last couple of months. And I'm glad that you mentioned the bullpen because, you know, the narrative right now on the Blue Jays bullpen is, well, it's, it sucks. It's one of the worst in the league. Well, not necessarily. Over the last month or so, it's been top 10 in F4. So they've been a very valuable unit yeah. and they're pitching a lot better lately. So we'll see how that goes. Um so I want to ask you because, you know, you're so, you know, obviously you're not a Mariners fan and you're not really involved in that scene in any way, but you are deeply ingrained in the Seattle sports scene. And we're starting to see the Mariners success leak over into other areas of Seattle sports. Like yesterday, we saw DK Metcalf rocking the Mariners shirt and all that. How much, you know, from the outside kind of looking in uh, from your perspective, how much have the Mariners truly taken over in the city of Seattle? How much has this become a baseball town once again over the last few months? I think you've really been able to see it the last, I'd say, three or four months, really, since Julio came up. That really was the thing that changed everything. 
this team almost made the playoffs last year, so there was a lot of hope. And then the start of the season was very underwhelming, and I believe they were 30 and 39 at one point. And so the turnaround that they were able to make, that really fueled, with Julio Rodriguez, of course, being the face of that resurgence, that really fueled this uh, this movement with fans. And, you know, I think everybody was thinking that this was going to become Mariners town about three weeks ago when the Seahawks got beat 27 to seven by the 49ers. It was like, okay, that's the team we expect the Seahawks to be, but now Seattle's two and two in the NFL. So maybe the Seahawks aren't quite ready to relinquish all of that control as the top team in Seattle, but the Mariners have a great opportunity now being in the postseason for the first time since 2001. They've got a a great chance now to take even more away from the Seahawks, who everybody is still thinking, yeah, probably not a playoff, but if Geno keeps wheeling and dealing the way he is, then hey, maybe we can play with house money. And NFC is good, but this is a great opportunity for the Mariners now to further steal the hearts of the fans in Seattle and, and try to truly turn this back into a baseball town, which I wasn't here when it was considered a baseball town, but all the fans I've talked to, the reporters I've talked to, they're like, this place is going to be nuts if they get any home playoff games. They're obviously not going to get that in this series against Toronto, but if they can advance, then they'll get an opportunity to have their first playoff games in Seattle in 21 years. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think that, you know, this Sunday, if Mariners Blue Jays require game three, that game would start about an hour after the Seahawks game against the Saints starts. And it's crazy to think that, you know, not a lot of people in Seattle will be watching that Seahawks game until replay <laughs> because of uh, the Mariners playing. That's, uh, it's pretty wild to see this shift over the last year or so and how quick it's become and how pretty much aligned these two teams are and kind of going separate ways. But like you said, right, Geno Smith is playing incredibly well right now the the Seahawks actually look fairly competent at least offensively and maybe not defensively but they at least are having some success so they're not completely going away it's just it's nice to have two teams that are at least finding some success at the same exact time now um how do you think the uh the Blue Jays will win this series and how do you think they'll lose it you know a lot of People are going to expect me to say slugging their way out of this series. And obviously, if they're able to smash a bunch of home runs, that is going to improve their odds of winning this series. But pitching is what wins when you get into October. And as I mentioned, their pitching has been better. It's been more consistent as of late. They're going to be starting Manoa in game one of this series. So they've got this set up exactly how they want it going into the playoffs. They're going to take advantage of it. They have to be able to to pitch their way to the next series. I think they're going to be able to get some runs on the board. This offense has too many bats. But the team is going to have to step up because the Mariners are one of those teams that's weird. You look at their batting averages and stuff, you're like, eh, that offense isn't that great. But they put runs on the board. They find, they find ways to get it done, and they do it in an exciting fashion a lot of times. They they kind of have this Seahawks DNA. They just have that they have that lure for the dramatic. And so you want to you want to keep those bats subdued as much as you can. It really boils down to pitching for the Blue Jays. If their pitching doesn't come through, then the Mariners are going to probably come to Toronto and they're going to win this series. But if the pitching be good enough to go with the bats that they have, I've been saying this all year, the Blue Jays have enough talent to make a run in the playoffs and push one of those top two teams in the American League. They've played well against the Yankees this year. 
They've won some games against the Astros this year. But it's just been inconsistent, and I don't think they've peaked. They might be one of those teams like the Braves last year that can get in the playoffs and play their best baseball. They've been playing better as of late, so we'll see. But to me, it all boils down to pitching because this classic matchups. I would say the Mariners have the better pitching staff going into the series. The Blue Jays have the better lineup. A lot of times, great pitching is going to be great hitting. So the Blue Jays need their pitchers to step up and, and and build off the momentum they've had here the last month or so. And if they're going to do that, then I like their chances of winning this series, especially since they're at home. Mm-hmm. Now, game two, I assumed that was going to be Kevin Gossman going on the bump for the Blue Jays, but there's been some talk about potentially Ross Stripling, especially with uh, Gossman uh, dealing with a cut on his finger, maybe to give him an extra day of rest if they have to go to a game three. What do you think about going to Ross Stripling in game two if that ends up being the case? I'd have great confidence in him. I think he's been one of their best pitchers in the second half of the season. He's quietly put together a really good statistical season. He's efficient. He goes out and gets the job. He can eat up innings, too. Uh, so I wouldn't have any issue. I'd, I'd be confident with him pitching game two. The one that's been perplexing to me has been Barrios this year because Barrios has the talent. Obviously, they traded away some prospects to get him last year, and he pitched great for him down the stretch. And then this year – has been an unmitigated disaster for him, an ERA ballooning above five. And yet, he's a guy, when he is on, has buddy on this staff. And so, that's been one of the issues with this team. They've just had some guys that were supposed to be good this year that had, have jet down seasons, chronically, for a 92-win team. And it has felt at times like they've underachieved. And I think the pitching staff, more than anything, has been the case. But Stripling has had a really good year. I'd be confident of him going out there. He doesn't have elite stuff by any means, but he gets the most out of his uh, pitches that he has, and he's been effective and has got an ERA in the low threes, so I would be confident in him pitching if they need him to start one of these first games. Well, Corbin, thank you again for uh, hopping on here with me and, and chatting a little bit about your favorite team. Uh, I, I know that you were excited to have an opportunity to just kind of be a fan on a Locked On uh, podcast here. So I'm, I'm glad that we could make that happen. Good luck this week. Um, tell us uh, what's going on on Locked On Seahawks and uh, where everyone can find your stuff. Yeah, we're going to have a new crossover special that's going to be coming up here in the next few hours. actually going to be posted with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. We did our matchup Wednesday show yesterday. Uh, Get your boxing gloves ready. Marshawn Lattimore and DK Metcalf, the rematch coming up. Uh, That's one of the many matchups that Rob Rang and I broke down. But you can find all of our shows just like Locked On Mariners. Uh, We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, streaming five days a week on YouTube. YouTube. We're doing six, seven, eight episodes a week, so uh, we've really been loading up this season. Tons of great content, tons of analysis and insight. So make sure to check that out on Twitter, locked underscore Seahawks. You can follow me at Corbin Smith NFL as well. All right. Well, thank you to Corbin for joining us once again. And uh, just want to reiterate real quick before we hop off of here. No, this was a really long show. Sorry to our overlords at Locked On. We promise we'll we'll shorten up the episodes next time around, but uh, eh, we'll see. Uh, so here's what our plan is uh, for the weekend. In case you didn't listen to yesterday's show where we laid it out, uh, again, I'm going to the games. It's going to take me about a couple hours to get back home because uh, I got to take the train and everything, and then we'll do the post game shows pretty much as soon as I get through the door. Uh, so the post game shows are probably 
like they are going to they are going to happen we are going to get post-game shows out they're just most likely going to come out about three to four hours after the game instead of pretty much right after uh so yeah so if you're uh you know, if you're done watching the game and they win or they lose or whatever, and you want to listen to us and you don't see that we have a post game show out, don't worry. It will be coming. It's just going to be a few hours late. So, yeah. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, we will see you tomorrow. All that good stuff. It's going to be a wild weekend, folks. Let's. Uh... <laughs> he does love Tim Hortons. Hoser. Hoser. It's it's Corbin Hate Week, it's Toronto Hate Week, it's Canada Hate Week here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. Also, tell us uh you know what your thoughts are on bag milk down in the comments below as well. <laughs> let, let let us know. Let us know. All right. So that's gonna do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. Things are gonna be different starting tomorrow. This is a playoff team now officially. Uh let's just again, let's just enjoy the hell out of it. Let's sail. How about that? I'm Tidying Gonzalez. That's Colby Patnode. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Did I point the wrong way? Yeah, I pointed yes. the wrong way. That's that's <laughs> Colby Patnode. I I I hate the mirroring on these cameras. You can follow <laughs> me at Dane Gonzalez. That's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z. And Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. And thank you again for making us your first listen. Now make your second listen the Locked on MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and unique perspective on every team. And the biggest stories around the league follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked on MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast just like us and with that have yourself a beautiful baseball day and we'll see you tomorrow after the game peace